0: began this morning with Oprah Winfrey. Uh, Let's go a little bit more upmarket. Tonight, Jean-Paul Sartre said this. He said, nothing happens while you live. The scenery changes. People come in and they go out and that is all. Days are tacked on today's Without rhyme or reason. An interminable, monotonous addition. Uh, Friend, I, I wonder this evening if you can relate to the sentiment that is being expressed in those words there. If you can relate to the apparent sheer monotony of life. Does it seem as though just now in your life the days are just merging into each other? Does very little of any sort of consequence seem to happen? Are you struggling in your life just now to see any sort of meaning or purpose or value to life? Is, is that where you are? If So, not only are you in the same boat as Jean-Paul Sartre, They are also sitting alongside King Solomon of Jerusalem. Because in this book of Ecclesiastes, we have found Solomon the preacher, and we've seen his restless soul. He is a man, is he not, who is desperately seeking purpose and meaning in life. Now, last week, we saw Solomon, didn't we, delve into worldly wisdom in his pursuit of Meaning, well, this evening there's something very different for us on the cards. Tonight we see Solomon and we see that he has also looked into the pleasures of life (laughs) to see if he can find purpose. So he has embraced hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure, as a means to an end. And as we consider this new line of inquiry for Solomon tonight, not only, I think, are we going to hear much from God that has a lot to say to the society in which we live, I also firmly believe we will hear in these verses from God much for you and I tonight and the way that we live. So... I would ask you to please have Ecclesiastes chapter 2 in front of you. Again, we will look closely at this text this evening. So Ecclesiastes 2, page 668. We'll do the same as we did this morning. So we will look at this portion of scripture uh, under three short, straightforward headings. The first of which is this, the hollowness of hedonism. The hollowness of hedonism. Okay, let's make a start with this. Actually, what we've got here, and I'm sure you notice this, is a, a quite a detailed description from Solomon of this pleasure-seeking life that he's been living. So it's quite detailed. And because of that, what I want us to do in this first heading here is just to break up his life a little bit. So in this first Point here, just for us to look at the four W's that he mentions that have been going on in his life. Okay? So four W's here. The first one is this. We see that Solomon has been pursuing pleasure in, first W, in wine. Look with me at verse three. Have a look. What does he say? Solomon says, about his life, I tried cheating myself with wine. I tried cheering myself with wine. Now, some commentators, they say that what Solomon is saying there is that he has tried to become an expert in wine in order to try and find some satisfaction and meaning in life. You know, he's, he's tried becoming a sort of wine connoisseur. Now, hopefully, uh, hopefully you find that reasonably unconvincing uh, because look at the very next phrase. Look what he goes on to say. I tried cheating myself with wine and embracing folly. This is not about expertise, is it? What is this about? This is about drunkenness. Do you see the point he's making? That Solomon has tried to and in his life has embraced escapism. And escapism through becoming inebriated. He's tried this time and time again, only to find what? What is his conclusion? Well, his conclusion is the same for everything tonight, that it was all vanity. It was a waste of his time. Now, hear me on this. Would you not agree that this message, the vanity of pursuing wine, would you not agree that that is an incredibly relevant message for the country and the society in which we live today? Would you not agree with that? The, the United Kingdom today is a nation that is obsessed with booze. Like the statistics are absolutely startling when you read them. Now, get this: that last year alone, over nine million people—nine, over nine million people—in England alone. So that excludes the mess <laughs> north of the border. About Over 9 million people in England alone are drinking on a regular basis more than the recommended daily amounts of alcohol. Now, do you see what that means? Over 9 million people. It's not just young people who are wasting their time with booze. What does it teach us? It teaches us that there are millions and millions and millions of mature adults that are fruitlessly seeking relief. No, fruitlessly seeking answers where? At the very, very bottom Of a bottle. Fruitlessly seeking answers there. So wine. Okay? We also see though that Solomon is pursuing pleasure or has pursued pleasure in works. Works. Now, uh, many, many years ago, my parents took me when I was a little kid uh, to the Impressionist painter Claude Monet's house in France. I think I've mentioned it to you before. As a kid, going around this place, I was just absolutely gobsmacked, amazed by this. Because the gardens were these vast gardens, but they were just beautifully, immaculately laid out. Vast, beautiful gardens. You've seen them in the paintings, you know? And then the house. Like the house, this vast, beautiful colorful mansion and as a kid you know it was just it blew my mind to go around this place now see that something like that even that is absolutely dull when compared with what solomon says that he has built for himself see look at verse four here Look what he says he says look i undertook great projects what did he build? I, I, I built houses and what else? Vineyards. And I built gardens. And I built parks. And I built reservoirs. R- 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 Do you see the sort of picture that's been built up? There's this sort of vast, ornate, opulent complex. And it's this huge complex that's been built for one reason. His pleasure. And it is a complex that has provided him with no pleasure at all. And again doesn't that speak loudly to modern man? Like, isn't it true that if you take many of our dreams and you distill them down, that they basically boil down to bricks and mortar a lot of the time? Like, you switch on the TV, what do you see? There's nothing but housing programs on the TV. And there's millions and millions of pounds every year being spent on DIY projects and gardening projects. And why is it like that? Because people believe that somehow these things are going to provide some satisfaction and fulfillment and and maybe even some joy. And if Solomon was to speak to them, what would he say? He would say, I've done it, people. And it is a total and utter waste of time. So, wine, works. Third one, Solomon is also being pursuing pleasure in wealth. Now, there is a very interesting article on the BBC magazine website. It is an article, its main thesis is this, that it, it deals with what we'd call rap music's influence on British culture today. Rap music's influence on British culture. So the thesis is that rap music has changed the way that we speak and listen uh, and the way that we even interact and live. That's its main thesis. Like You say, so what? Actually, what was interesting is the way that the article goes on. The article says that such is the influence of hip-hop culture in the UK today, That actually the generation growing up just now is much more materialistic than the generation that goes before them. That's an interesting thesis. It's saying that uh, because hip-hop culture puts a huge emphasis on making a lot of money and making that money fast... That there is growing up in the United Kingdom today this generation that is looking only to fame and to money and cash for value but also for meaning and for answers. And wait a minute, what would Solomon say to that? Well, look at verse (laughs) 8. He would say to any hip-hop artist, I've been here and done that. Look at it, what does he say? I've amassed silver and I've amassed gold and have treasure the treasure of kings and the treasure of provinces and when we think about it and if you know your bible he's no wrong is he what do we know about solomon from first kings we know that people used to flock to him they used to give him riches and wealth in exchange for his wisdom who was solomon he was one of the richest guys who has ever lived and again what would he say wealth the pursuit of wealth it is meaningless. So you got the three W's. Wine, work, wealth, the last ones. <laughs> the last one. Solomon has been pursuing pleasure in women. And I've got to be very careful with what I say here. Because the language is not easy. I mean, you'll maybe see. What I mean, if you look at the end of verse eight, so it's translated in the NIV, Solomon says that he has acquired a harem as well, the delight of the heart of man. But you'll notice, I think, if you're using the NIV, and especially if you're using the the Church Bible, there's a footnote. Is there? So have a look at the footnote. Look at the bottom of the page. What does it read? It says the meaning of the Hebrew here is uncertain. Well, maybe it's uncertain. Maybe it's uncertain, or maybe it's just the tiniest little bit rude. (laughs) Because most commentators think that actually what Solomon's saying there is that he has acquired for himself an awful lot of breasts, or as the ESV uh, translates it, a lot of concubines. And wait a second here. Again, if we know our Bibles, we know. Ah, that is true. Isn't it right? Uh, Solomon had, what was it? 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, 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 do you see his point, though? For meaning and purpose, what has he done? He has thrown himself into sexual immorality. Sexual immorality in the pursuit of meaning and worth and value and he has seen that there is nothing there. Now, I want to ask you this tonight. Is that there, that last one, not a message that you want to share with this suffering world and the people in your lives? Isn't it? Isn't it? Aren't there so many people that we know in this society who are struggling with gender issues and sexual issues, and people who are struggling with homosexual attraction, uh, struggling with a desire to try and to change their gender, and what is the message that they hear from society? They hear the message that if you pursue that, if you embrace that, you will find meaning. You will find worth. You will find yourself if you pursue that. But what's true? What is actually the case for these people? There is no meaning. There is nothing good that can come from sexual immorality. There is no purpose, no meaning, nothing good at all from any unbiblical view of sexuality. Isn't the picture that Solomon paints in Ecclesiastes two some picture? You, you look at it, you read it, like some life that this man has led. But what would he say about all of this, this pursuit of meaning and pleasure? What would he say about it? In fact, what does he say about it? He says it's all. It is all just a chasing after. The, wind. the holiness of hedonism second thing we need to consider is a deconstruction of hedonism, I was speaking to somebody in the congregation this week we met up, had a conversation and he told me this he told me that he quite enjoys going for job interviews <laughs> and uh, I sort of looking at him and thinking, you what? You really like to go for job interviews? Uh, I can't think of anything worse, anything I less like to do than that, but each to their own. We've all been there though. Like we've all sat through a job interview and we know what can happen in a job interview. Sometimes it's the case that the person who's being interviewed is given a scenario. Isn't that right? You've maybe been there yourself. You know, you're given a problem, and the person doing the the interviewing says to you, right, here's your scenario, here is your problem. And not only do we want you to tell us how you're going to fix the problem, but we also want to know what you think has caused the problem, right? You've been there, probably. Isn't that what we need to do with Ecclesiastes 2? I hope you see what I mean. It is surely insufficient for us tonight just to say, okay, Solomon finds no meaning in the pursuit of pleasure. Close the Bible and walk away. That is insufficient. Now, we surely have to assess this. We have to evaluate this. We have to ask, wait a minute, why... Is it that hedonism and a pursuit of pleasure, why does it not provide any meaning? And I think when we ask that question, we will find the answer in the text. See, I'll ask you this. See, when Johnny read the portion of Scripture earlier on, as you followed through that, did you notice, or if you read in advance of coming here, did you notice just how preoccupied Solomon is in Ecclesiastes 2 with himself. Look at the first word of chapter 2. What's the first word? I. And do you know that it carries on in that vein? I tried to do the maths earlier on. I may have got this wrong. It's not my strong suit. But I think uh, Solomon uses I 18 times in the original in a very short section of scripture. He then uses my a further 13 times in this section. And then here's a question for you. See all this grand stuff that Solomon has made here, all these parks and these gardens and so forth, who does he make them for? Like is it sort of philanthropic enterprise he's engaging in here? Does he make all of this stuff for other people? No, in the original it reads like this. I made vineyards for myself. Parks for myself, gardens for myself, houses for myself. So wait a minute, do you see the point? Do you see part of the problem of hedonism? It's all about us, isn't it? A pursuit of pleasure. It is self-seeking. It's self-obsessed, self-orientated. So that is part of the problem. But only part of the problem A few years ago I think it was maybe even as long as three years ago As a congregation We studied Through the First part of the Bible The opening couple of chapters In the Bible We studied Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 Together The congregation Has changed in that time But a few of you were here and you can pretend just for my sake that you remember that we we did this, but we went through Genesis, the early chapters of Genesis. Now, in the weeks after that, in fact, actually in the months after that, in some senses, and I I mean this with reference, I could not shake Genesis chapter 1. Do you see what I mean? That for my prayer life and my devotional life, I, I, I... Kept coming back to God as creator. Kept coming back to Genesis chapter 1. To those open and glorious verses of the Bible. I wonder if you noticed this. Did you notice that Genesis chapter 1 is the focus here of Solomon's thinking in Ecclesiastes chapter 2? Did you see that Genesis 1 plays a part here? Now think about it and you'll see it. Think about the language. What is it that Solomon makes for himself? He makes a garden. And what's in the garden? It's a garden complete with water running through it. And it is a garden complete with flourishing trees. And what is on the trees? It's fruit on the trees. You see, don't you, that Genesis 1 is in his mind. Now, here's the thing. What is the difference between Genesis 1 and Ecclesiastes chapter 2? What's the difference? Who's not there? There is no God in this garden. Do you see that? That there is no Lord God walking in the cool of the day in Solomon's Eden. You see it. This is an entirely secular garden. And I hope you see that that there, that there is the problem. When we live to pursue pleasure, what happens? Who is it we leave out? Hmm? We leave out the Lord, our God. Do you see the fundamental problem with hedonism? Do you see what it is? It breaks the first commandment. We live striving after pleasure. We live all about pleasure. And what do we do? We raise up ourselves above Almighty God as the one who should be worshipped in our lives. And so, to apply this, I have something for you to think about if you are a professing Christian in here tonight. If you know Jesus as your Saviour, I have something for you to think about, and this. Is your approach to your own leisure time and your own relaxation time, is it perhaps too similar, your approach, to Solomon's approach in Ecclesiastes chapter 2? Do you see what I mean? Is your thinking about your leisure time and your thinking about your relaxation time, is it really all about yourself? Is it self-centered? Is it self-orientated? Is it self-obsessed? Is it? Um, it needs to change. If so, I, I, I'm sure that you have heard of John Piper. John Piper is an American uh, author and preacher. John Piper. And he's written extensively about what he calls Christian hedonism. <laughs> I'll it straight off the bat. What a terrible title. Christian hedonism. But the point he makes is is so good that as Christians we are absolutely entitled to embrace the good and the right things in this life. We are, you know, it's not that as Christians that that, that we have to we don't have to live lives of abstinence and asceticism. We can embrace the good things of life, but it's got to be different as Christians. That the pursuit of pleasure is not the goal in itself, is it? That our pursuit of pleasure, our relaxation time, our leisure time, it must be God-centered. You see, that we live, yes, we can pursue pleasure, but only in relationship, and relation rather, to our awesome God. And I would, tonight, encourage you to do just that. I would that this summer, you as a Christian embrace this life. Embrace the gifts that God has given us. Embrace nature and music and food and so forth. But not as a means in themselves. Not as an end in themselves. Not just for yourself. But you embrace these things as part of your ongoing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it. that is where satisfaction in pleasure is found. If we are god orientated in these things that 's what Solomon was getting wrong that 's what solomon couldn 't see and then we 'll we'll, we'll close with a third thing, and that is simply an alternative to hedonism an alternative to hedonism okay um, we 've seen solomon 's main thesis in Ecclesiastes chapter two he spent his life pursuing Good things, pleasures, and he's found no meaning in them. And then we've seen that for Christians, we can't actually find satisfaction and an enjoyment in the good things of life, but only as part of our relationship with God. I've got a fear. My fear is that we're getting ahead of ourselves. We are saying that we only truly enjoy the good things in life, the pleasures in life, in relationship with God. What's the obvious thing? That there may very well be people in here right now who do not have a relationship with God. People in here right now tonight who just who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And and so I, I just want to appeal to you. I want to remind you of the good news. Do you want in this life fulfillment and satisfaction and joy? You want that? Listen to me. That only comes through a forgiveness of your sin. This relationship with God that we are talking about the one that is necessary for fulfillment, it only comes through a forgiveness of your sin. And how? Through turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even tonight, through turning to him in repentance and belief. And I know, look, I know more than anyone here that I sound like a broken record. And I know maybe if you're regular at church, you hear this all the time. I couldn't care less. I couldn't care less. I'm going on holiday. And I have to confront you with this tonight. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to. You need Jesus in your life. For reconciliation with God your Father, with a relationship with God for eternal life, life in the fullest, you need the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you not turn to him even tonight? And we'll end by praising Jesus because surely if you're a Christian here, you see why we must praise Jesus tonight. When you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, what has Christ Jesus done for you? He has lived the life that is the complete antithesis of Solomon. Isn't that what Jesus has done for you? Solomon leads a whole life, and he cares about nobody else but himself, this whole life of pleasure-seeking. And yet, what has Christ done? For you, friend, what has he done? He has left the life of pleasure and enjoyment in heaven. He left it all behind. He came to earth. He lived a life not seeking enjoyment for himself, but seeking to bring benefit to everyone else. A life lived, a life given entirely for the satisfaction and the salvation of you. The one and only truly selfless life. So if you're a Christian tonight... And you've come in here and you are frustrated about the monotony of your existence. I hope you see the truth of Scripture. That there is great enjoyment to be had in the pleasures of life. If you will only look increasingly to Jesus. He will lift the monotony of your life. The tedium of your life will go if you look increasingly to the Lord Jesus. So I'm saying to you, let's live this out as a church. Will we? Let us live... Live out what we know to be true. And what is that? That man's chief end is to glorify God and to do what? And to enjoy Him forever. Let's pray.